kill you. Hold on. Accept the things to which fate binds you and love the people with whom fate brings you together, but do so with all your heart. It is not death that a man should fear, but he should fear never beginning to live. Marcus Aurelius. It's better the second time around. What's going on, guys? <laughs> MDOP Battle Axe Podcast, episode 39. 39. Coming at you with a very special guest we'll introduce shortly. The first, my very special co-host and handsome Baron of the North, Johnny Banks. Welcome back, everyone. Thank you again for tuning in. So this time around, for round two, actually our only second, our only person to ever be on our show twice, Ooh. ever, in 39 episodes, <clears throat> Paul O'Neill. Say hello. Hello. Thank you. I'm here. Yeah, we freaking made it, huh? I'm really excited about that. I think it's going to be fantastic. I'm alive. I haven't melted yet. Well, you did, but you just drink so much fluid. It's incredible. <laughs> um, and Go ahead. Sorry, I don't know why the computer keeps making that noise, but I'm going to figure it out right now. Yeah, I think you, you just do your thing. Out. It's okay. This is okay. So, okay. So, anyways, we're going to have you down for the second time, and I think we're going to have a lot of good questions for you. But first, we're always going to say thank you to everybody who helps us in the first place. So, uh, Bearded Villains 305 Shout out to those guys That always give us help Around the world uh, Cerberus Strength USA You guys do sponsor Athletes Legitimately Help out in the Strength sports Use discount code Battle And then Of course CBD Meds You guys over there Always there Giving us back And then lastly The Battle Axe Clan For always pushing us And being very special To everyone Who's always been a guest here And I think It was really kind of special To have a repeat guest A over the phone, which we were just talking about, to have you here in real life is is a lot better and a lot more efficient. But um, a lot has changed since then. But I want to first say that if you guys want to tune in, make sure you look through our episode list. The first time we met Paul, you can really hear his kind of life story and how he started. We're not going to necessarily go there. Thank God. <laughs> and what I really want to sit down and what we're going to get to is I really believe, and this is where we're just kind of talk man to man, you have literally been reborn in the last since the last episode to now, and I say that sincerely and genuinely. We're going to get to a bunch of stuff, but first, what brings you down to the MIA? Uh, initially, it was just for another speaking engagement, and then we had our seminar this morning at the Battle Axe Gym, so we spoke about sustainability and training. Uh, I thought it went very well. We touched on a lot of topics, had a great discussion, and... I think we did a great job of communicating the interplay between the cost and benefit of our decision-making on a daily basis and how that plays into our ability to sustain training over the long term, which was ultimately my goal. And I think we did a great job of that, you and I, playing off of each other a little bit here and there. And honestly, I just wanted to come visit. It's been yeah. so long since we've been able to travel consistently due to the C word and do <laughs> the politics of the whole situation. Can't um, the real C word. Yeah. Yeah. Something. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just to be in a position now where traveling is permissible and I can come see my friends in person and have these sorts of conversations. Yeah. Happy dude. That's incredible too. And at the, this morning was, well, first of all, it was awesome to be sitting next to you this time, which was a big deal for me. It was great to have one of my coaches there and mentor Randy, who we've mentioned in previous episodes, mm -hmm. and to have a few people that I didn't know were going to show up, which was great. Um, but I mean, the way you articulated in the seminar was great because there's always that touch of education, but that simplicity of 
connecting with who you're speaking to. Mm-hmm. You know, you are an educated man. You are, in a sense, a professor, and you can use all the words you want, which I often see online when people are trying to do a dick measuring contest. And you could if you wanted to. And you never, I mean, one for one, never just said, oh, by the way, this is this. You guys don't know what this means because you always know your audience. And that's always been something that's been a pleasure to hear you say on podcasts and obviously talk to each other. You know when to do what. And I loved that this morning. I thought that we had enough words and semantics and ideas and kind of philosophies that you can get something to speak amongst any community, but at the same time apply it to training into the quote unquote layman, almost like a manual to speak. And I thought that was really cool. When you see modern podcasts today, what you see a lot of is that middle ground, right? How to speak to your audience, but still remain an intellectual. Have you ever found a situation where, even amongst your peers, you ever find a, a maybe a confusion or you just say, fuck this, I'm going to always talk this way, or you're forced to talk one way or this way? Has it ever been difficult for you to communicate that way? Um, I would say more so as a younger man. Uh, I've been around for quite a while doing this, and... The main point whenever you're speaking to a group is, is there going to be some sort of actionable item that this group can take away? So whether I'm communicating about some scientific topic or some very simple topic, as long as the person I'm communicating it with understands, because communication is a two-way street. If I say words and those words aren't interpreted correctly, then the message is lost. Right. So when I'm speaking to a group of athletes like I was this morning, I'm going to present what the research says. I'm going to present how that's practically applied. And then I'm going to present them with the question of which trade-off do you prefer? Because ultimately for those people, it's whatever they can take home and use in their day-to-day practice. That's what's most important. I want people to walk away from conversations with me, understanding that they have more information from which to make better decisions. So when I'm speaking to a group of intellectuals, oftentimes we're not talking about action items. We're more so talking about thought processes, right? Weighing those pros and cons, thinking about the different contexts with which they exist. When I'm speaking to athletes, they need take homes. They need action items to apply it. So it's just a different, um, a different paradigm with which to look at a situation. Right. Okay. Nice. And well, a lot of things have changed, right? We're gonna <laughs> I have so yeah. many things. I know Paul I know Paul on a personal level. So, you know, we're not gonna pull any punches in the sense we're not gonna get stupid either. But what makes a man excel in his professional life more often than not uh, has to do with personal growth in his in his actual existence as a human being and those struggles. But first we're gonna <laughs> point out that you're actually stupid rip right now and nobody in this room is okay with it yeah i hate it um i feel personally pissed um we kept our shirts on just because i don't want to make him feel bad understandable but okay he went from when we were speaking last you're coming back not coming back you had decided to start moving forward in powerlifting you had come over some serious knee injuries hip injuries you were on your way there. You were starting to make moves. You were going to take the year to prevent, uh, push yourself forward. And now we are now shifting towards a bodybuilding paradigm. For reference, that was episode 12, 2019. I fucking knew you would get it. Okay. So episode so, 12, 2019. So that's a nice body spoke. of work. That's three years, basically. And now we are seeing you not, not powerlift because... <laughs> 
you're you've said it openly. It's just that you're exploring this avenue of which I'd like to know. You're not what other ones doing it where their powerlifting finally beats them up. They're like, oh, I want to bodybuild now because they're giving up. You have made a conscious choice to move into bodybuilding for several reasons. And I kind of want to know what got you there. So first and foremost, understanding that the whole reason in which I compete is because I love training. I've always loved training way more than I've loved competing. I pretty much just started competing because I was good at lifting. Mm -hmm. So for me, I got to a point with my injury history, uh, the accumulation of different things in my life, I couldn't train the way that I actually enjoyed. It wasn't fun anymore to go from really pushing myself every session, feeling like I'm, I'm doing some quality work to doing one rep of squat per week. Right. And, and to be fair, I was intellectual in my approach and I still PR'd my squat at the meet, but it just wasn't fun. I was in pain. I wasn't enjoying myself. So I looked at it and said, okay, I need to return to the fun of training. And a big piece of that for me is the problem solving aspect of how do I accomplish this goal? How do I look at the data? How do I manipulate my situation? And I was like, you know what? I don't have any pain when I'm on a machine. Let's see what I can do. I'm going to compete in a bodybuilding show. And it was a really easy decision for me to make, especially because my wife competes in bodybuilding as well. She competes in the wellness division. So I have someone in the house who understands the situation and she's actually in prep as well. She's four weeks out right now. I'm 13, 12 or 13. She's jacked. Uh, what's her Instagram? Olivia X me show. Yeah. That's Paul's wife. Who's awesome. Sweetheart and a full blown athlete. If you guys want to check she's her out. Crazy. Um, she, uh, yeah. So I have someone in the house who understands the situation and can empathize with me throughout the process. Um, uh, we're also coaching her together. So she's coaching herself and I'm acting as a second set of eyes for her prep. Uh, so for me as a coach learning through that process, I also decided that I wanted to learn more about bodybuilding. So I took a course, a six month course, uh, put on through John Jewett's company, J3 university, mm. fantastic course for anyone, uh, who's interested in continuing education relating to bodybuilding. And I hired one of John's coaches to coach me. Cause I want to learn everything I can about this process. So for me, the decision to compete in bodybuilding was one of personal development. I'm educating myself. I'm putting myself through the ringer. I'm giving up control to someone else during the process. And my coach, Luke Miller, to his credit has been very open with his education process, sharing with me his decision-making and things like that, because I told him from the get go that this is for my own law knowledge. Right. And so that's, you know, the ability to train pain-free, the ability to actually feel as though I have that catharsis from training again, and the ability to learn, expand my knowledge, expand my business, and kind of branch out into that new arena. Yeah. And I, It's a win-win-win. It's cool to see that honesty that pain is a motivator in many ways. You know, you could see Huge. pain as a motivator to push harder, but at a certain age in your athletic career, it's also a very real teacher into making you make big boy decisions, you know, mm -hmm. whether it is to take time off and rehab or grow or use another sport to become better in your old sport. And on top of the other reasons, that's kind of refreshing to hear because you don't often hear that people will say, Oh, you know, I, I kind of did all I had to do or, you know, real life priorities took over. But a lot of the times it's because you're so sick of being in pain that you decide to not necessarily leave, but you have to make a big decision 
So here's a question that I've kind of posed to myself. I understand that I'm not done competing in powerlifting. I know that I have more left in me, especially with all that I've learned. I know that I have new tools to apply to my current situation because I know that the squat beats me up. So how do I apply the new things that I'm learning within the context of I need to PR my squat? So that's a very exciting thing for me. My question to you is, we got into this for the simple reason of finding out, I want to see how strong I can get. Am I allowed to be mad that I've found that point? (laughs) No. And I don't think that I have, but if it's the case, what if I've lifted my heaviest weight? Right. And then I, I would, I would ask if training is what you really love, then I believe you could already know that answer in a sense, right? It doesn't matter. Doesn't to me, matter. it doesn't matter because the the absolute load on the bar is not what I'm chasing necessarily. It's the process with which that is achieved, mm-hmm. and I never will stop training. That's wisdom right there. That's what yeah. I, <laughs> that's what that smells like. And I and it's it's refreshing again to hear that because it it sounds like a person that has experience but is seasoned through that sense. Not necessarily quitting, not necessarily making a paradigm that none of us will follow, mm-hmm. but also it, it allows younger lifters to kind of see eventually we're all going to run into this crossroad. And if you do, and it sounds as cliche as always, like love the process, it really is loving the training. I mean, I'm in love with training myself, but I'm always kind of, sometimes I've tricked myself into thinking, oh, I really love competing. And sometimes I'm like, man, I really fucking hate being here right now. Like, <laughs> I'm so banged up. Like why, you know, and you kind of have to kind of push yourself through that. Well, I think in a platform where a lot of us are looking to, uh, you know, I, I guess social media is like who we look up to. I think that there needs to be more conversations about the the lateral step as opposed to the step backwards. Mm-hmm. And a lot of this is like I'm stepping back from powerlifting. I'm stepping back from strongman instead of I'm stepping laterally to bodybuilding to work on these deficiencies or I have this injury, whatever. And there's almost no honesty in that. It's always like, just like, I'm stepping away. I'm stepping back. That's it. Right. So I have two thoughts there. The first one being that I definitely didn't step back from anything because my commitment, if anything, is more. Mm. Mm. Uh, bodybuilding is a 24-hour-a-day sport. Everything I eat, everything I do during the day, every ounce of sleep that I get, every training session, every rep, every set matters. Plain and simple. I also approached powerlifting that way, so that thought process hasn't really changed much. But uh, the fact that I'm approaching this with a weight belt mentality, trying to learn as much as I can through the process, I'm much more entangled within it. So if anything, it was not a lateral step. It was a a massive step forward in my own personal growth, education, and to be fair, my business as well. The other point, which I'm completely spacing on, um, is essentially the topic of Actually, you know what? I'm not even going to try and fake it. <laughs> I woke up to the Battle Life podcast right. where I had pulled off some of the most amazing episodes like that. <laughs> Everybody's, you remember how you finished the episode? Nope. No, have but no it clue. it was great. And you know what, man? It's funny. But I love fucking bodybuilding, man. I've always, I think a lot of us came Oh, I remember. Sport. There we go. I remember. Welcome. I bridged it. It's because I pulled out my nicotine gum and I immediately remembered. I, you Nicot- know why he does that? the fucking best. You know why he said that? To, what was it for your appetite, right? So... Yes. Um, 
Nicotine gum is a tremendous appetite suppressant. It's also a neurological stimulant. It can help with your memory and your cognitive ability, but also you have nicotinergic receptors on your mitochondria. So there's actually quite a bit of ongoing research with regards to mitochondrial function uh, improvements with nicotine supplementation. Not tobacco, <sighs> nicotine. Okay. This, I was about to fucking, I knew I was about to get messages like, you see, this is why I fucking smoke nicotine. I'm like, look, such, I'm not against it. I am not one to throw stones. <laughs> but now I'm really curious if we should just pop a couple of nicotine gums before the next podcast and see what happens. Dad, listen. Can you mix that with alcohol? Uh, you could. He I mean. said yes. Did you hear what he said? In fact, if you were at the seminar, next question. he said there is no wrong <laughs> or right. All right. He said alcohol is not great. But it also not bad. So, so what I've heard is we're not wrong. <laughs> we're ever. not wrong. Ever. Before I forget, my second point through that, 99.9% of the time when someone says, oh, I'm going to take a step to the side. I'm just going to focus on bodybuilding for a bit to rehab my injuries, blah, blah, blah. They go from doing their powerlifting program to doing three sets of 10 and feeling a, a quote unquote pump. They still eat the same. They still train like pussies. Still take like three or four days off, no cardio, no nutrition. Right. So bodybuilding, to me, is the commitment to building muscle tissue. Building muscle tissue is fucking hard. So if I'm doing a leg workout, I'm taking every single one of the sets that I perform to absolute failure. I'm burying myself in every machine, every set. If anything, the relative intensity of my sessions is higher and more intense than when I was powerlifting. So when you say, I'm going to do some bodybuilding work, that doesn't just mean that you're going to stop squatting, benching, and deadlifting. You're going to get some reps in and then leave the gym feeling good. It means that you're going to make an unequivocal focus towards building muscle tissue and putting effort into that end from a nutritional standpoint, from a training standpoint, from a recovery standpoint. So my foray into bodybuilding i am entrenched in the process of building as much muscle as i can and not to toot my own horn but the last time i ever weighed this much you, i'm sorry you couldn't see the face me and john just made to each other <laughs> tuning your horn all day go ahead finish. Mm -hmm. uh, no, so ahead. when i was about 233 uh i kind of looked back at old pictures and i was like i'm the leanest i've ever been at this point and the last time i was ever as lean as i was at 233 i weighed 216 so I put on 17 pounds of muscle Jesus. within the last couple of years. Well, let's say three years. Yeah, ever since you were on this podcast, you indeed put on more muscle because that's what happens when you get on the podcast. Yeah, so there you go. It's anabolic. It's anabolic. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it's something, I mean, we were talking about this at the seminar um, where you can't go wrong putting on 17 pounds of muscle in anything you do. So mm -hmm. when you do come back into powerlifting. Yeah. It's going to be pretty nasty when you can just kind of inflate a little bit naturally. I'm excited, especially like when I introduce a caloric surplus again. I'm going to have enough time between my bodybuilding show and my planned next competition to to fill back up, um, spend some time in a caloric surplus, do like a feed up period. Um, I, I plan to compete at 242 again, just with no weight cut. Um, usually when I competed at 242, I would weigh around 231, 233. 231 is a good class. Mm. Um, so now I'm just I'm just curious to see what my body is going to look and feel like under those weights with the additional tissue. I think it's going to be fun. 
I love that, man. And I, I like that you differentiated that because you right now one of the buzz things is to go into bodybuilding. And it's very good that you kind of set a line. I think sometimes all of us, I think we're somewhat guilty. You are not so much. You're not a gray area guy, which we'll get into soon too, um, where if you say you're going to do bodybuilding work but do bodybuilding is two different things. You, it's a 24-hour it's a gig. And you'll have somebody that just stops powerlifting to get a kind of fun pump, but they go and have whatever they eat or they say, I'm going to bulk and have, I mean, I saw what you eat at my house. I was there firsthand. I mean, it's like slices of fucking carrots to an exact amount of bananas. And I mean, the first thing I said was fuck that, but you also can't stop admiring this. Remember those old Jay Cutlers and Kai, uh, Kai Green videos on YouTube where the oh, guys, yeah. I think we all kind of grew up on that. And I always found that super fascinating. How does it feel to actually be in those fucking trenches? Like how, I know you're a meticulous person by nature, but how does it feel to be under that many choices and constantly be engulfed in like from every single nuance of what you do? Well, it's zero choice. I just do what's written on the piece of paper. Mm-hmm. So the, there's no like decision fatigue involved. And as far as it goes from like nutrition, from powerlifting to bodybuilding, for me, there hasn't been much of a change except my choice of foods is much narrower. Like I used to follow more of an if it fits your macros approach, but I would still always eat quote unquote clean all the time. Right. Single ingredient, whole foods, fruits and vegetables, things like that. Whereas now I have a set meal plan that I follow. So that, that's been really the only change, change. because I mean, you remember even when I was powerlifting, I would come to your place. I would have all my food cooked <laughs> yeah, and everything prepped. I'd offer him dinner, and it was great because it was always mine. So food, and he's always cooking. I'm like, man, it's a, I, and I suppose that's why it does fit you very well in general. Like it's just it fits my personality. I'm a control freak. Yeah, you're really good at that stuff, and I. That's kind of the. Well, that's cool because both sports should be in a sense like that. I believe being an athlete should be like that. And I think a lot of us fall into the stigma that because you belong to a sport, it allows you to kind of become loose on your commitment. I, for one, am super guilty because I do strongman, then I'm allowing myself to eat worse, which in actuality, I would perform a lot better if I was more strict on my nutrition, mostly alcohol intake. But You, you said this, though, in, in, the, in the seminar this morning. You know, someone asked, well, if I, if I have to do cardio, what if I hate it? And your response was, well, don't be a pussy. You have to do things you hate to do th- do something you yep. love. So my response is to anyone who competes in a sport, if the goal is to perform at the highest level, would you not want to control every variable you could that could potentially lead to your success? Right. So if you're sitting there wondering, you know, I could, I could train harder. Yeah, but it'd probably be easier to train harder if you ate properly. Or slept. Or slept. Or didn't go drinking. So for me, like, if I'm going to do something, I'm going to commit so hard to executing violently towards that goal. And I use that word violent because that's what it is. You have a plan and you execute it with reckless abandon. And then you gather data on the outcomes. You make the necessary changes to continue progressing. And then you continue to execute. If that execution is off, if you don't have any data to pull from, you don't know why. And if you don't know why, you don't know how to change it. If you don't know how to change it, you don't know how to meaningful, meaningfully progress yourself. So you're just shooting bullets in the dark. Yeah. There's no data on that. And, and let me ask you a question. So 
we have established some physical aspects here. And I think those are the biggest things we could see externally. And I also know that there was quite a shift change in your life. I know COVID was a major player in it. And now the man that visits my home is a tremendous businessman. There is no question on which direction he's going, both personal and business and philosophical. You went from a person I would consider a pretty well-established, opinionated, but much of more of a gray area man to a person has now established opinions, facts. Every post is not a question. Every post is a set stone, almost a reason why I chose Marcus Aurelius. You've become a very much a... Strength stoic, if you will, very strength stoic. You have, this is the way it should be. It's simplified. It's practical. It lowers your stress when you have the ability to bring things down to very simplified, but that does not make it easy, nor does it make it uh, dumb or in any other way, like redundant. Where was there a shift in your life from our last episode? Because I did listen to our last episode. It's not that you have changed in your sense of your intellectual commitment or your wit or anything, but there is something more set in stone. Now, we don't have to describe the details, but there was certainly a shift. Yep. So around that same time frame, uh, I was living out west, and it was a very, very stressful point in my life, uh, which prompted a massive shift in my perspective. Uh, I was doing a lot of things without a conscious awareness behind my motivators to those things. And through the process of I want to say self-discovery, but it was more than that. Um, you know, there was a lot of therapy involved, a lot of reading, a lot of reflection um, into essentially why am I not happy living the life that I'm living? Because from the outside looking in, aside from a few issues here and there, it wasn't that bad, but I was not in a good place. So throughout the self-education, self-discovery, being able to understand the motivators behind my behaviors to create alignment between my thoughts, my feelings, and my actions. I was able to really dial into where I want to be and why I want to be there. Through that process, it really made me look at my business and determine how I want to leave my impact. Because I got into coaching to help others. And I think the best way for me to help others at this point is to elevate the profession of coaching. Because if I impact other coaches and those coaches impact their clients and those clients impact their immediate networks, now my meta impact expands massively. Whereas if I just focus on my clients, then my impact is still massive because they're very important people to me. But doesn't mean I can't do both, right? Right. So when I revamped my branding earlier this year, I, I said, you know what? I want to raise the bar for online coaching. And I mentioned the word alignment before. My entire purpose is aligned with raising the bar for online coaching. The service that I provide to my clients, the way I interact on social media, the way I interact with my peers, the way I gear my, my continuing education platform with Coaches Corner University, and the way that I mentor young coaches is all geared towards elevating the standard with which people look at online coaching. And that has really unlocked 
my ability to feel aligned with my process, to feel fulfilled day to day. It's also just made me appreciate those little wins that I have with my clients, Mm. those little wins that I have with my other coaches. And it's been a game changer for my life in general, revenue generation aside. Right. Because we all know in this room, when we have alignment and we provide a great service, the revenue is a byproduct. Mm-hmm. So yeah. as long as you're value driven, you're going to be successful financially. Mm. It's just a matter of time. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's exactly what I thought. Like I really wanted to, I thought that was the biggest growth too, looking from the outside and you know, what would you tell people that are coming up? I mean, you're, you actually had a nine to five going first yep. and you left this nine to five to commit fully to coaching. Now this is an online, but not only did you do online coaching, which is good. You almost started an online or a, a brick and mortar web style. And this is what I mean. Owning a brick and mortar gym to me is always going to be a passion of mine. That's yeah. actual solid stuff. Online coaching is a type of, web space that's brick and mortar now there is there is actual skin in the game you have to pay employees you have to put work in there you have to gather other information is there any kind of maybe tips or ideas or something you that came to you as not only just online coaching not so much that because i believe a lot of us maybe that's a little bit saturated but you got that online coaching decided you know what i'm going to do i'm going to start a company online that actually expands on coaching is there any tips, like don't you know, things that you did personally that found out of yourself, or seminars or books that just kind of pushed you in the right direction? I think it was just a natural progression uh, for me. Again, expanding on my goal to provide impact, the goal to raise the bar. And I'll be completely honest, I got very, very lucky with my first quote unquote hire is my wife, mm. who's a phenomenal coach. She started off coaching nutrition only. She's expanded herself into training. She has a a kin degree and she is an absolutely incredibly talented coach. So onboarding her was very easy. All of our views aligned on training. It was a very easy progression. Our newest hire, Nat, younger coach, less experienced. So he's a mentee of mine. So throughout the process, I'm mentoring him to be able to apply our business processes, iterate on his programming, do the right things from a nutritional perspective with his clients. So it's just been a stepwise progression of the, actually, you know what? I'll I'll put it to you this way. I have a growth mindset in everything that I do. So if you're not familiar with a growth mindset, there's a growth mindset and a a, uh, scarcity mindset. So a scarcity mindset looks at the industry and says, Mike's another coach. He's my competition. Felipe's another coach. He's my competition. I'm trying to get clients from them or there's only a set number of clients and we're all pulling from that pool. A growth mindset is if Mike's doing great things and Felipe's doing great things, they're going to bring more people into the industry. Them bringing more people into the industry brings more revenue into the industry. Now we're all pulling pieces of pie from a bigger pie. The industry grows in a positive manner. These people are not my competition. They're my colleagues. I looked at my business in a similar fashion. I had this conversation with Olivia actually, because when we hired Nat, we had, we, we were both filling up with clients, 
but we weren't full. We could still handle more. So she's like, why are we bringing someone on if we can't give them clients? Well, because more people talking about our business will bring more people to our business. So even though we can't directly give Nat clients right away, having him speak about our business and having him be a fantastic coach and a positive reflection of our business just grows our business. So we don't need to give him clients. He's going to get his own. Right. And, and that's how it's going to be as we move forward is I'm only going to associate myself with people who align with my vision of raising the bar for coaching, because that's going to bring more business into our industry. And it's going to bring more people with a positive mindset around fitness, as opposed to, you know, what we see a lot of the time is these short-term financial gain motivated decisions by coaches to discount their services, 30-day challenges, supplement sales that are snake oil, things geared towards revenue generation versus service. Right. That's going to bring a sour taste in people's mouths, and then they're going to leave the fitness industry. So those people are taking, whereas we're giving. Right, you're creating more interest, more actual solid backgrounds. Yeah. And I, you see that, well, I keep saying that because you see it a lot. It's good to have another person on the show that's from the same industry and who's been around for a long time because there has to be people out there saying like, yo, this isn't okay. You know, and I feel that there's not enough, not, not enough of that going around. There seems to be a lot of dick pulling and everyone's like, yeah, this is okay. I'm like, yes. There is a sense in a term where if somebody else is successful, in a sense that it's okay. But not so much, in my opinion, when it starts to really poison the well completely. And it's by providing improper service or like you're saying here, it's we can all win in a sense if you provide and really focus on great services. Um, but shifting over a little bit to something more normal. <laughs> and let me tell you, Paul, you work a lot. You ever find into any challenges on a personal level from traveling or coaching or being a fucking computer a lot, do you ever find that that really pulls away at anything? Like, what are your major difficulties now that you're full-time entrepreneur? That means that your destiny is in your hands. Um, Number one, I have very strict boundaries around my work schedule. So I know exactly when I'm doing certain tasks at certain times, how long those tasks take, how much time I, I allocate during the week to my non-negotiable business tasks. So I have a schedule per day and I have a schedule per week and all of those contain checklists. And as long as I check all the boxes, I know that I'm moving my business forward. So that's number one, boundaries and time management. Also having very, very strict priorities. Number two, my phone is my work. So I answer clients, I answer DMs, I do promotions, all of those things are through my phone. So I've developed very strict boundaries around my use of my phone. I suck at that. Uh, you know those do not disturb settings that you have? Those, yeah. So I have a personal one where it only allows texts and phone calls. I also don't allow my clients to text me. They can only use WhatsApp or Facebook Messenger. Oh, me too. So I create a boundary there between personal and business. When I, when I have my do not disturb for personal on, I don't get business messages. They don't distract me. When I'm working or doing podcasts, it's on do not disturb. Nothing comes through. So when I open my phone to my WhatsApp or my Facebook messenger, I'm working. When I open my Instagram, my Instagram icon is on a different page. 
so I can't see it all the time. I also never use the explore page. I sign on, I make my post, I interact with the people that make that post on my post, and then I put it away. Mm. I don't entertain any negativity. If I don't like something as I'm scrolling through, I either think, huh, that doesn't fit with my paradigm, or I think, huh, I like this unfollow button. Well, let me ask you, why don't you, in, why don't you interact with negativity? What do I stand to gain from that? Right? So I'm very big on staying in your own lane in general, right? I'm going to act in my own, in my own self-interest in terms of the decisions I make on a daily day-to-day process. If I scroll through and I see someone present a piece of information that I don't agree with, I'm going to ask myself, I wonder why I don't agree with this. I'm not going to judge it, right? Because if they posted it, they probably believe that it's true. So could I potentially learn something from this? Is this information context dependent? Because most of the time, an answer is neither right or wrong. It depends on the context and how it's applied. So I try to step back and say, could this potentially be appropriate within their context? If the answer is yes, great. If the answer is no, eh, this person's probably a piece of shit. Unfollow. <laughs> there um, it is. And that's like that's a lot better. Yeah. So I, I mean, guess some people are pieces of shit. Yeah, but you're right. Why? I, why entertain it? Right? Why bring down your business to entertain negativity? So I see it a lot with younger coaches, and and I caution them when I speak to them. It's your social media is the window with which people look at you and your business. So you are the product of your product. If you are posting about, hey guys, not going to be on time with my check-ins this week, I'll reply to you tomorrow on your social media, why would anyone want to work with you? Ooh, this shit all the time. <laughs> and, and, and I've seen you do it, yeah. but it's a different it's not, I'm not calling you out. Yeah. Um, or someone will post a, about, Oh, I can't believe my clients do X, Y, and Z. It's like that they're a direct reflection of you and you're calling them out on social media in a negative fashion. Why would I ever want to work with you? Right. Or, you know, red flags in the coaching industry, or if your coach does this, they're trash. It's like, okay, that's probably true, but I would much rather share about the positive things that we're doing with our clients. I would much rather post about the solutions I'm providing, the problems that I'm solving. Right. Rather than Posting about all the the bad shit going on or the things that people do wrong, why don't I put something out there that lowers the barrier of entry for someone to come into the fitness field? Solutions do that. So in my contract with my staff, so the people that I bring, like the coaches that I brought on, Olivia and Nat, to the clinical partners that we've brought on, they have to agree to a social media code of conduct. They don't engage in negative negative discourse. They don't post negatively about uh, other people or other businesses. They're solution oriented, right? These are all things that I hold to a high standard because they are a reflection of my business. That's how I do with the Battle Axe clans. Like we don't associate. We try our best, anyways, not to ever associate with negativity or make negative comments or disparage anybody else because it's just. Uh, it really just, it's bad business. And unfortunately, with things being as, as they're very permanent on the internet, whether you deleted them or not, you know, it's, you can never really get away with saying something and over time things heal. But I see that a lot, especially like you said, a lot of younger business or clients or coaches 
a lot of things to say. And it's it's interesting how much more forward you can progress when you provide education and solutions and answers and how much more that brings a positive light to things in the sense of a forward momentum rather than pointing out what's wrong. I think, you know, and I said this before in other podcasts and in other conversations, the market and the people that are buying your product are not as stupid as people say they are. They're actually pretty educated people. They might not be specific to what works as squat, but people typically like what they like and they're pretty smart about what they buy, especially in the consumer America and consumer the world. When you put out there and you make it very negative and you come off this way, it makes them confused or, or nervous to buy. Mm-hmm. Um, I wouldn't want to buy a product or a person that's bashing everybody else when if you go to buy a car and you're like, well, that car's a piece of shit and that guy over there has four flat tires as opposed to, this car can get you here in about 20 minutes. It's got this much gas per mile. It can give you AC. That's typically a great way to buy a vehicle. Mm-hmm. And I don't see why people don't apply that to business, their business in general. It's very easy to get lost in the sauce of social media and then just bashing everybody else instead of promoting the business that way. Yeah, and I mean, again, returning to the fact that social media is the window with which people associate you and your business. So if I'm, okay, here's a, here's a polarizing topic. I'm not going to get financial advice from a homeless guy. I'm not going to go to a dentist with no teeth. Right. Why would I go to a coach who's not strong or doesn't train hard or is pursuing their own excellence? I want to go to a coach who is pushing themselves as hard as they can because that's what I want them to ask of me. Right. I'm not saying that your coach has to be a world-class athlete, but they have to be striving for more. So when I portray... Like I, my social media up until about three, four months ago was my own training, my dogs and my wife. Three, four months ago when I re- revamped my business model and I, was, I made a commitment to raising the bar for online coaching as my, as my purpose, I started sharing more educational content, more valid solutions. My page has grown massively during that period of time. And the only thing I changed was that I started talking about the things I was doing rather than just doing them. I started sharing more of the process. I started sharing more of my clients, more of my philosophy, more of the awesome stuff that we do. And the response has been massively positive. You know, our, our revenue this year massively exceeds last year. Are we providing a vastly different service? No, our, our systems are, are very much refined and it's a much more streamlined approach much more interactive with our clients, but the actual quality of the service is the same. I'm still the same person, right? So when we look at our growth over time in terms of service delivery, it reflects the quality with which we approach our clients. And that's, that is absolutely visible when you look at my social media, Olivia's social media, Nat's social media, yeah, it is a universal thing there. It, it, that's man. Yeah, I was just talking about this today. I said if we we have to buy this fucking warehouse, and I have to put more business into the business. Something about talking about you on a personal level and growing the online business, which is very lucrative. Um, there comes a time where yeah, it's, it's really cool to post videos of yourself, but there's a way of posting videos of yourself and others and incorporating what happens at the Battle Axe Gym, but making that on the Instagram, it's like what's happening with you and what your experience as a coach in the last, you know, 15, 20 years of your life and putting that into a streamlined online way is just going to be a positive effect. So I had this conversation with one of my mentees. Uh, he's been a strength and conditioning coach at the college level for about 24 years. And I said to him, I was like, 
If you could figure out how to communicate why you're so special in the weight room on social media, you'll never have to worry about money ever again. And I'll make the same statement to you. If you could replicate the feeling that I get when I park my car outside of the battle axe gym and I walk through those, those garage doors, if I could get that same feeling on your social media, you would never have to worry about money ever again. <laughs> I'm looking and at my I, camera. I, I mean that to my core. I believe it. Yes, online coaching is lucrative. But I also know that online coaching is not your passion. Your passion is standing face to face with that person, creating a meaningful relationship and finding out what makes them tick. Translating that into the online space is very hard. Not impossible, very hard. I can share some secrets. But not on here. Not on here. This is at the Battle Axe party. You can uh, register for my group mentorship, (laughs) which we will, which will be starting in September. Um, DM me for details. The, the way in which you communicate what the Battle Axe gym is to people is what's going to light their fire. Now, having a brick and mortar gives you a lot of, risk per se, but the way in which you've oriented your business, the business pays for itself, right? You have members, you have some, some training hours. There's, there's no risk of the overhead to your business, you know, that's taken care of. So if you can scale that online component, match the culture of the battle axe gym in person and online, you're cooking with gasoline. I know I've been thinking heavily about this. That's something we'll talk about tonight. I also, by the way, it's my birthday, so I turned thirty-eight. Wow! Not I can't even remember anything. being 38. 38, thirty-eight. special. It's thirty-eight special. Wow! You know, I like how Paul came out uh, by himself. He took that. You yeah, know? I didn't read it over your shoulder while I was driving. <laughs> <laughs> and you know, to take things into a, a more lighthearted perspective, and this is something that I really appreciate. Paul's always been a, a good, honest person, a good, honest friend. And what? Like, what favorite places have you been to on your adventures that has really been just different? You know, because we could sit here and, and I wasn't going to make the whole entire show about business models because we're actually all pretty fucking fuck around funny guys. It's one of my favorite things about having here, Paulie. Yeah. And your travels outside of Miami, which is your favorite, and I'm Obviously. your favorite, and <laughs> then Battle Axe is your favorite gym ever outside of the one you train at. Um have you been to another place where you're just like, man, this is not so much great because there are a lot of great gyms, but just fun. Like where you just walk in, you're like, I don't fucking blast. Cause I think fun is important. I have been against fun in the, you know, what's fun. Winning is fun. <laughs> doing good is fun. But where you just left a, maybe a city or a gym or a group of people. And this is not to, I don't want to piss off anybody who didn't make the list, but where you really think, man, this is the reason why I did what I do. Um, well, first and foremost, I would have to shout out Dynamo Barbell Club. Okay. So when I first got into powerlifting seriously, I reached out to a, a local lifter in Ottawa named Shane Church. Shane was you know, the number one ranked 242 equipped lifter in the, in the world. Um, I re- reached out to Shane. I was like, yo, I want to come train with you. He introduced me to Jane Nira, Cade Weber, Willie Albert. Those guys were training at a Dynamo Barbell. Not unlike the Battle Axe. A couple cages, no cable machines, bands, dumbbells. Some strongman stuff. Hardcore shit. Right? It's just a barbell club. When you're training around Jay, Caden, Willie, who have all been ranked number one in the world at some point, 
you have no choice but to be successful, to pursue excellence. And that is the common theme between the gyms that I visited and what's really made them special is the people in them. Mm-hmm. So Dynamo Barbell, I, I would credit massively to my ability to succeed in powerlifting. I mean, when you walk into certain gyms, the battle axe gym is just special. The people in it, I remember the first time I ever visited, you have what, 800 square feet? Eight, eight plus. Okay. So to put that into perspective, your gym is smaller than my basement. <laughs> this is true. Okay. You had like 30 people in there, four squat racks going, multiple different things going on in the assistance arena, people outside doing warm ups and medleys and strongman. And it was like a well-oiled machine, everybody working together. If you weren't coaching, spotting, or lifting, you were doing something wrong. And it was so special. And and again, figure out how to put that on. No, bro, I, I, we're um, going to sit down and talk tonight. I'm so not drinking that much tonight. Battle Axe Gym <laughs> definitely has a special place in my heart. The gym that I train at right now is 613 Lift. <sighs> Fucking beautiful. It's a beautiful gym. It has, it has the best equipment in the city. It really does. Um. There are some IFBB pros that train there. There are some high-quality lifters that train there. Um, but the culture of training has changed. Very rarely are there groups training together. Mm. Very rarely is there that team atmosphere. So that's something that I very much miss. I spend most of my time training alone or with my my one training partner, Cody. And And it's great when I get to train with Cody, but sometimes our training schedules don't align just due to work. Um, I love training with my wife. Like she's a fucking savage. So yeah. it's, it's very easy to train with her. Um, and in terms of like gyms that I've been able to travel to, there have been pockets of gyms over certain times that have had great groups of lifters. I think of, uh, Fortis fitness in Toronto. Oh, Fortis. Yeah. Um, I met the owner owned, owned by Jeremy Hamilton. Sean Kelly is also the owner of the downtown location. At one point that was the hub for powerlifting in Toronto. Talk about Pure Muscle and Fitness, owned by Dorian Hamilton. The most incredibly outfitted gym in the in, I've ever been to. They have 10 of everything, and they're all different, right? So that's an incredible facility. I trained at Destination Dallas, which has some of the best bodybuilders in the world. Um, I've trained at Westside. I've trained at Elite. I've trained at all these gyms. I've trained at you know Iron Mongers in, in San Diego. I've trained at uh, South Bay Strength in, in L.A., and a number of a number of other gym, like I'm definitely forgetting some. How was Elite? How was it sitting next to Dave Tate, like face to face? We well, had him also, on. Also, I believe a, that's episode seven. We've had him on a podcast, which I'm going to brag about, but because I just think it, it speaks more of his credit to just being a cool dude. Mm-hmm. How did that feel? Just flat out young boy, surreal. Yeah, I think you're just a kid, and look at you now across the table as a fucking peer. Because the way he spoke to you, and the way I saw the podcast. Same. He was not talking to you like you were some punk. He was like, you were getting, and you were answering, great. You were a peer, which is like, how, how does that feel? It was surreal to me because when I grew up, it was Elite FTS. It was T-Nation. T-Nation. <laughs> T-Nation back in the day You can have an excuse fire. to take any. Yeah, at the beginning. Yeah. At the beginning, it was fire. Now it, you know, it's kind of leveled off. Um, to be able to know that, I'll speak to the other stuff, but we'll talk about Elite. So, to be able to sit across from Dave Tate, someone who I idolized growing up, still do in terms of business and in terms of what he's contributed to the powerlifting world, to have him do the podcast with me, 
spend two hours after the podcast just talking about his business and what he's learned, then training together, then him sitting for three hours after the podcast, smoking a cigar. We were in the gym till 10 p.m. just chatting, me and him. Wow. It was the most incredible experience, and I'm so grateful to be associated with Elite now. Um, I'm hopeful that I'll be able to do more work with them in the future. We recorded a ton of videos for them, so you'll be seeing those roll out. But to now be at a level in my career where my influence and my knowledge is desired by a company held in such high regard, it's very surreal. It's very humbling. Now, I've also been put in a position like Christian Thibodeau knows me by name and, you know, I speak to him online relatively often. Um, you know, a lot of the people that I've looked up to in the past are now my peers. Mm. You know, one of that, that mentee I mentioned earlier, he was my boss's boss at one point and now I mentor him. These are things that I never even imagined that I would be capable of providing value to these people. And now I am. I still don't know how to put it into words other than to say that it's humbling and it's surreal. But in my heart, I know that I've worked my fucking ass off to get to this point. And one thing that I do now, talk about personal transformation, I take the time to appreciate and be grateful for those moments. Mm. I didn't listen to any music on my 10 hour drive home. Oh, wow. nothing, nothing, just no podcast, nothing. I just drove, just thought. That's a hit, man. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Oh, and, and, I, and I couldn't, I tried. I was like, I just need to think. Yeah. I mean, you just, I remember trying to explain it to live and I was like, live like it was just, uh, it was, it was, and I couldn't put it into words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I know. I, I can relate in a sense because it's just like when you put somebody, I remember when I put Eddie Cohen's number into my phone number the first time. And the first time it was just, you know, whatever. This is my number, whatever. And then we went to Norway together and he's like, oh man, I'm excited to go see you. We'll talk training. I was like, oh man. I'm like, That's into an extent, right? Because we're seen there on a friendly level, but to be seen as a peer. And I, I look a lot of times like how we talk now professionally. And I've always, well, since I got in a, power rack i was like oh man paul and i remember looking up to you but to be able to share a seminar with you means a lot to me it's not to kiss your ass in general like you wouldn't sit next to anybody that wasn't worth your time a your time is money b that's not you but to get to that level it's same thing when randy showed up and we were able to discuss things and randy was somebody i looked up to for mm -hmm. a long time and to sit there and be like well not only is are we here just discussing things and sharing ideas but this is something i really preach to younger coaches, it's like, not to kill your idols, but to sit next with them, be with them. Yeah. You know, you, it's one thing to be respected as somebody who squatted 800 pounds. Please, by all means, I always respect the athlete. But it's one thing where somebody you look up to and goes, hey, what do you think about this? That to me makes my fucking life. Like if an old mentor, old coach, old boss, like my old Muay Thai instructor will ask me, hey, what do you think about this? Man, it's worth every fucking 700 pound deadlift, 400 pound stone that's ever been worth to in my life. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's something to be said about this story that we're hearing now. It's like, I know kill the idol terminology is very important, but to share common grounds with them is to me the cherry on top. It's what you said earlier today. It's like, if you win the trophy first place, but your, your day is a piece of shit, the trophy is irrelevant. It's like you get to a certain part in your career 
and you look back and when you sit with your peers and or when you get lucky enough to compete next to an athlete you've always wanted to compete next to you've always looked up to and he's like hey man good squat or good lift you're like oh fucking hell yeah you did it you did it man dave bell yeah dave bell dabbed me up after my squat he was like that's a nice squat i was like what yeah man he's like yeah isn't that what the part is that what we all got here for like a child child wonder like yeah that was a fucking great one too yeah freaked me out and then he followed me (laughs) whoa wow d we're best friends now no chill 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 do you tell him you know me i did did you tell him i'm first well he actually asked me if i knew but you know what the cool thing about the elite fts thing was actually i got a chance to show my wife like you know my wife is very outside of the strength spectrum but like i was scrolling through and elite fts came up and then you came up and i was like this is my friend Paul. Yeah. <laughs> Look, he's on this. I love this page. And he's on it. And my wife was like, you know that guy? I was yeah. like, yes. Yeah. We're friends. I had a lot of people reach out like from my past who didn't necessarily know what I was doing now or maybe didn't know to what extent I had built my business. And the amount of positive feedback that I was getting about my interview was overwhelming. And again, like you have to take the time to be grateful and present in how you feel in those moments. Because again, when we talk about creating alignment between thoughts, feelings, and actions, that felt so good. And it helped motivate me to say, this is in alignment with my vision. I did a great job. I can build on this. Which is what led me to come down here to do the other speaking engagement which had led me to do the seminar this morning, which led me to be sitting here today with you. Like you talk about doing things that you hate or doing things you don't like to do. I paid for my travel to go to elite. I drove 10 hours each way, paid for my own hotel. They didn't pay me anything, but I got to be on the podcast. You know what the ROI was on that podcast? It's like 40 followers. That's awesome. Okay. But then when I started, taking the initiative to share the posts from it, do the screen captures, put the captions, collaborate the posts, do my own self-promotion of my experience on the podcast. I got about 200 more followers and then I got a few new clients. Wow. That's where the ROI comes in. So did I really want to sit in my car for 10 hours each way and, and spend, I think it was close to $2,000 gas and gas and accommodations and food and all that stuff. No, but that ROI came back in, in spades through the connections that I was able to build, the notoriety I was able to get my company, all because I acted in accordance with my vision of elevating coaching. Same thing with this trip. The other speaking engagement didn't pay for my travel. You know, I'm, I'm eternally grateful for you opening up the battle axe to be able to say, hey, let's host a seminar at a, at a discounted rate and say, Hey, maybe we can subsidize this trip for you. I know for a fact, I'm probably going to get a couple clients, usually returning clients because a lot of your people have been my clients. I know. And then like, when you come back to like, hey, so um, I've been meaning to tell you about how bad I've been eating. And I'm like, you said, when they, listen, let me tell you something, man. This morning, <laughs> like, I'm not even going to name any names. They're like, hey, do you track what you eat? And these mother, the whole fucking room raises their hand. I was like, that's because Paul's here. Yeah, and they're sure. all lying. I guess I saw right there. I'm like four new clients for you, motherfucker. Because I know <laughs> you. Don't but that's it, right? So, we, when we look at these situations, here's a life lesson: delayed gratification. Sometimes you have to eat shit. 
Eat that shit sandwich. Eat that shit sandwich. All the time. But in doing so, as long as the actions taken align with your goals, there will be ROI. There will be a return on investment. And if there isn't, well, now we have an experience to pull from and know what to do next time when we're presented with a similar situation so that we can potentially maximize that ROI in the future. So unless you take these chances, you're never going to know what you can gain from them. You're not going to get any data, really, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. and it, which made me mad because I feel like, I, they, I know they all do. I'm pretty sure that I I don't log that detail, but I log the each. So, thing. and it's uh, this is something that I'm I'm really picky on. Yeah, I have my logbook. I know you do too. I think yep. we talked about pen that. and paper. I have ten years worth of logbooks still. So sick. And it it actually that is the backbone of most of what's on the board. And then, aside from you know getting knowledge or whatever, I still when Randy walked in, my first logbook started at his gym. I had done logbooks since Muay Thai always. And aside from that, and this is something where I think talking about the psychology of stuff and just like building culture and how important it is to actually make that into context. But I also write my mood, my injuries, how I feel about certain things because there is a way to quantify that. There mm-hmm. is. You can't necessarily dismiss qualitative information and just, well, it's not quantitative. On the contrary, or something when I did in the mentorship, like one to five moods. You know, I might put a one because my, my mood's really poor. So obviously things are going to suffer. And when I saw people kind of like, kind of sort of, and then certain people kind of sort of with food, it's like, there's no data that you're gathering, whether, and this is great that you brought that up because you, we always transcend training into personal life, but it seems to me that you're doing this overall from training to nutrition to business and aesthetics and and personal life where you're kind of having to gather data on yourself and more people are love to record PRs, but no accessory work, no mobility, no mood, no nutrition, and then they'll sit there and be like, well, I don't understand why this is happening. And it's kind of like that question was perfect in that sense. Yeah. yeah. It's something I try to do with all my clients. We have a subjective questionnaire that we fill out um, with the nutrition clients more so than the training clients. But my training clients have subjective notes that they take on every session. So their weekly logbook is in Google Sheets. Mm. And so I'm able to look at their logbook Oof. and make changes to their program based on their feedback and progressions. And so it's made my coaching process more simple because I have all the data available to me. And then what I do is I'll record a video of myself going over their weekly log, telling them how I'm changing their training, why I'm making those changes, and the things that I want them to work on. So now it becomes iterative. It becomes educational. They have the accountability of knowing that I'm going to look at that every week. And they're autonomous in the fact that they control their execution. I don't. How often do you deal with people that don't give you proper updates? Never. Never. You never come across that? Nope. Not anymore. I come across that often. And it's something that... It's your fault. Yeah. And I do blame myself in the sense... Well, maybe the first time. Maybe the second. It's your fault. After that, I fire the client. Because... And this this is what I mean. If there's a clear communication and I facilitate all options... On the third time or the fourth time, it doesn't really add to a number, I do come to the discussion of, because I do always tell clients, I'm like, at certain point, we do have to discuss if we have to part ways on something. Is there a reasoning? For the first two, three attempts, it could be life, stressors, and stuff like that, facilitation of information. Do you not have access to that? But I think it's important on my aspect, uh, maybe, you, and you maybe you come in with some insight and some um, information, 
if that client is not willing to read up, meet up to my standards, why should I coach somebody that is actually, the money is not even worth it. The juice isn't worth the squeeze. A, they, they're poorly representing me because they're not actually fulfilling the details of the agreement. B, they're not fulfilling the tra- training that I'm trying to provide for them because I have zero feedback. And C, being paid you know a certain amount of money a month, this person causes me more stress than I can quantify in their payment. Do you feel that at that point you should be like, look, maybe we should part ways or I can find another coach that will be able to communicate with you better? So here's where I practice radical ownership. They're my client. I own their process as much as they do. So when you say they're not fulfilling their end of the agreement, did they sign an agreement? No. Well, not physically. Did you present them with a list of requirements every week that they can expect from you and that you expect from them? Typically, yes. Verbally in our phone conference. No, 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 no. No, on paper? On paper. No. Okay. It's your fault. Okay. Then are you communicating with them multiple times a week and holding them accountable within that process? Oh, always. Okay. Then it's, is the actual intervention too complex or too much for them to follow? Do they have the appropriate tools to be able to fulfill your expectations? And the answer could be no. Then you look at the intervention itself and say, how can I simplify this? How can I meet them where they are? And that's the process that we go through in our initial calls is, what are you able to commit to? What are you able to do? Right? Like I have some clients, I have a, a doctor of uh, He's a dermatologist. He's on call. He works sometimes upwards of 100 hours a week. Do I ask him about his subjective metrics? No. Every day sucks. He's tired. He's exhausted. So what do I ask him about? How's your weight? How was your adherence to our meal plan? Right, Because for him, it's a meal plan because that's what he's able to adhere to. It reduces the amount of choices he can make during the day and it helps him out. That's an intervention that works for him. Mm. So how was your adherence? How's your body weight? How's your training performance? Because he is committed to filling out his logbook. And those are the metrics that we use. That's different than other clients whom have more specific training goals or, or performance goals and aren't constrained by their schedules as much. Looking at, is this something that this person can actually follow? The other point that I'll, that's more of a business point if you charged more, you would get better clients. Right? So every time I've increased my price, it increases a person's perceived commitment because that dollar amount is a harder burden to swallow. So if they're more committed to the fact that this is costing me, you know, I charge $300 a month for training, which is so 300 Canadians, about 225, 230 US. I charge 235 US. That's a lot of money. So if somebody's willing to pay that, they're going to be more invested. So the adherence level is going to be higher. Right. So looking at it from the perspective of I have to own this process as much as this person. I have to communicate effectively what the expectations are on both sides. I have to fulfill my expectations if I want them to fulfill theirs. I need to communicate what's required of them in terms of the communication back and forth. I need to hold them accountable during the process through that communication. And I need to design an intervention that actually fits with their skill level and their level of commitment. Then I need to make sure I'm charging enough that they actually give a fuck. Mm -hmm. That's the one. 
Huh. Well, that's then, it. it. Doesn't it come to like a representation of like the whole reason why yeah. someone looks at a Mercedes, right? And when they buy a Mercedes, they know it's substantially more. So there's very less questioning on the price or haggling on the price of a Mercedes. But when you're talking about a Honda Civic, right? Like, oh, to, yeah. 30 grand for a Civic. The mm-hmm. example I always give is like Gucci doesn't give discounts. Right. You want an elite level of service, you're going to have to pay for an elite level of service. And then you're going to rise up to the occasion. And, then you're going to rise and up your to price represents your quality. Right. Exactly. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's a multifactorial answer to your question. But I don't have to fire clients anymore because my clients are fucking awesome. Right. It starts to kind of weed everyone out. Mm. Or everyone in, actually, is what you're trying to say. Yeah. The more, the more adaptable you are within your approach the better you're going to be able to serve those clients. Yeah. That's interesting. That's a good, and I, that's a good eye or refreshing approach because I have fired clients that I don't know, man, not in a long time, but I have set those standards in one way, but it's true. It's important to kind of set those standards. It's important to facilitate communication. Um, and then that of course kind of shows wisdom and experience too, by accepting new routes. And this is something that we have brought up and you had written that quote down uh, for me, John, um, where if somebody was to watch you throughout the day, you didn't say a word, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if they can understand who you were based on your actions. Right. And that's something you had said in the podcast, in the podcast, in the, in the seminar. seminar. And I thought that was really refreshing because you actually wrote that down, huh, John? I did. It's a good one too. I mooched it off that. I was like, when he, when he said that one, I was like, oof. That's what I'm here for. Yeah. So, so one thing that we do is we have a terms of service agreement that we make sure that our clients get every single communication with us. So every week when I send my updates to my clients, they get a weekly message. So the weekly message is usually some form of action item or some educational post, kind of like a short blog that I attach at the end of their check-in. So they'll get their check-in video, they'll get their weekly message. At the bottom of that weekly message is a link to our terms of service. So every week they're reminded of the expectations they have of us and the expectations we have of them. So in terms of terms of service, we have onboarding, communication, subscriptions, cancellations, payments, meet day and competition coaching. We have privacy, vacation, and holidays. We cover all the big rocks, and they know exactly what they can expect from us at any given moment. Excellent. Then we also provide additional services to our clients in terms of, well, our clients have a, week, have a shared drive of, of resources that they have access to. So different webinars, different uh, handouts, PowerPoint presentations, educational material, things that we can reference for them in order for them to get more out of our coaching services. Our clients are also part of a community online on discord. So we have all of our clients past and present who've decided, who've decided to subscribe to this. I mean, discord isn't just for porn. That's not what I heard. No. So, so all of our clients have access to this and they're part of our global community. So they can ask questions of each other. They can ask questions of us. How many clients do you have outside of North America? 10 or 15, but that, at any given... No, no, but that's beautiful. Do you ever plan on going overseas? You know what? I've never... The furthest I've been away from home is when we took our trip to Panama. I've never I've never traveled outside North America. You would fucking kill it because, I mean, first of all, just expanding worldwide already. I mean, you. I think that... I think next year we're going to be in a year or two, we're going to be hearing your adventures into the world where the world spectrum. So I really think that... Um, <clears throat> Uh, in the next year or two, I think that's where it's going. I was curious if you can go anywhere right now to do a podcast or to do a seminar and to expand, expand, where would you go? Probably the UK. 
have a few clients over in the UK that are, you know, super highly motivated. The UK is a fantastic hub for, for strength, for bodybuilding. And, uh, it's an incredibly untapped market. What I have learned about the UK though, is they don't value the service as much. So the price is way lower. Really? Yeah. The average price, I was speaking to two young coaches who just started their business there. Their average price for online coaching is about 40 to 50 pound a month. What? Which is around 100 to $120 a month. Me, Canadian. No. Oh, Canadian. Yeah. 75 bucks. for Yeah. Holy crap. So, and you had mentioned something earlier on too. Um, and this is something you see a lot of and mm-hmm. I, I don't like, but you have a lot of undercutting in the coaching now it's like okay i'm a new coach i'm gonna charge really low um and i noticed that you said that is like not to be necessarily affected by that but i'm curious what would you tell these up-and-coming coaches when they're the first on the scene not necessarily uneducated just new about pricing themselves about really how to express themselves on a market where they feel like they have to aim as low as possible um, and it correlates to what we just spoke about too. Well, it's quality of service, right? So if you're a new coach, you don't have any evidence of your success. So your price point needs to reflect the evidence that you have at your disposal to show that, hey, I can get you results. I can solve your problems. When I started coaching, I started coaching for free, mm-hmm. which is what I tell people to do. Coach for free, get some experience, develop your systems, develop your processes, develop your um, your philosophies. That sounds like hard work. Once you've done that and you have the evidence of success and you have your your processes, now you can choose a, pl- a price that reflects the level of service and the level of results that you can get your clients. What we forget often when we're talking about training to clients. All right, guys, you know, we're going to choose an evidence-based approach and we're going to take, it's going to be sustainable in the long term and blah, 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 blah. That sounds like a lot of fucking hard work. Can you help me lose weight? Can you help me get stronger? That's it. A a client is not buying the process. They're buying the result. So your messaging should reflect, I can help you do X. I can solve X problem. The way you do that is uniquely your own. And the language you choose around that process should reflect an evidence-based practice, a sustainable approach, and all of those things. But what that client is buying is the result. There's nothing more appealing than a result that you can keep forever, Mm. right? Sure. But we want to make sure that we're always addressing the problem that they're trying to solve. That's a... That's a, the for free one is nice because I think that's how well, I started like, doing that stuff for free for a while or very cheap right at one point, but not necessarily. Um, I remember mopping a 12,000 square foot rig <laughs> twice a day, every day for a year. <laughs> for I did, free. I did it for summer. It was 168 windows. I was at World's Gym for my coach, Wesley Carroll. That's how I learned how to, my first real gym. That's how you learned how to clean windows. Yep. That's exactly like, and I learned how to clean equipment and what did what and watch people train. Um, and just listen, watch and see the big guys and see what they did. Um, and I think that's, I hate, I'm not saying that this is a generational thing, but because I think every generation brings their own gifts to each thing. Um, and, I, and I see a lot of that now, you know, and everyone's a coach and online coaching has become not saturated, but certainly like just filled up with a lot of things. And I hope a lot of people that are listening will listen. And the reason why we're discussing so many business paradigms and concepts is because what you're getting here is a blueprint Mm 
that 10 years ago was going to cost you thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. It was either via fucking annoying email streams or you have to go some secret Facebook page um, and try to figure it out. And it's been put into practicality in the sense of not only when somebody says, oh, just work really hard. That's really just nothing. That's a, mm -hmm. it's just an action item. There's no steps to that. And now we're talking with somebody very successful in the concept that came up not only as a coach, but at one point you just focused on being an athlete. Um, and sometimes, and this is something that I really enjoy about what you said earlier, when you don't have to be an elite athlete, although at one point you were, um, to be a great coach. And this is something that kind of like gets to me and I, and I enjoy it. Um, some of the best coaches were never the greatest athletes. What do you think about that? I said it earlier. I think I don't think you have to be the greatest athlete, but you should be pursuing your own level of personal excellence. And and whatever, this is, whatever that means. Okay, so in any aspect of it, right? Like, so I was at one point a high level athlete, right? I was ranked in the top ten all time in two weight classes. I'm nowhere close to that now, but I'm still working towards being my best. Yeah. I've entered into a new arena in which I'm a novice, and quite frankly, I'm not. I don't have a great structure for bodybuilding. Yeah, I'm 230 pounds and I, and I carry a lot of muscle mass, but I'm not built like a bodybuilder should be. I don't have wide clavicles. I don't have a small waist, right? But I'm still putting forth a professional level of effort and commitment to the process. Couple that with a evidence-based approach, a very pragmatic approach to the training process and the nutrition process. So I do have bodybuilding clients who achieve great levels of success simply because of my commitment to my own process and my own education and my own excellence. Right. And you, that's what I, and that's the good thing about when I talk, see a lot of people, um, especially in strongman, which is a very powerlifting as well. Just because your coach hasn't necessarily lifted the heaviest weights in the world does not mean that they don't know the effort it takes to get to their best. Um, the caveat here is, Jesus, sorry. How did too you much, manage too that? Too much muscle. I don't know. So strong. Um, too, too many much. abs. Yeah. Idiot. Yeah. Nerd. Um, at some point, and I think that point is around that like 750, 800 pound mark, the science books kind of get thrown out the window. And I think if you've never pushed yourself to that level, I think it's very challenging to program for somebody who's trying to do that. Right. So you talk about a guy like Ed Cohn. When you look at Ed Cohn's programming, there's nothing special about it. And he speaks about it all the time, right? It's a very linear approach. Weights in the off-season are lighter, and they progressively get heavier. His volume progressively gets lower. Linear progression, volume down, intensity up. Ed Cohn has achieved a great amount of success with that program. And the people that he's helped along the way have achieved a great amount of success. You look at Dan Bell, right? Dan is very heavily influenced by Eddie. Um, you look at, uh, you know, Dan Green at one point was, was, you know, influenced by Ed and Ed, Ed has the evidence of that high level of performance. Does Ed have all the scientific background surrounding the reasons why he does what he does? No. And the current body of research actually disputes his approach, but it works. So. There needs to be a level of empathy, uh, a physical empathy on the part of the client and the coach to say that I've been where you're trying to go. 
right? I've been to where you're trying to push to. I know what's required physically and mentally. I can help you. So there is that. But we're talking about the tip of the iceberg there. So that is a piece of the puzzle. Um, the other thing that I like to say all the time is training is as much art as it is science. So we need to have a nuanced understanding of the physiology, the biomechanics, the, the biopsychosocial implications of training and nutrition. But the way in which we apply that to the client is going to be artful. It's going to be contextual. So we need to have a very robust understanding of the entire paradigm of a person if we're going to be able to appropriately tailor our approach for the individual. Okay. Well, exactly. That's one thing that I remember working with you is, and you said this too, um, understanding the person you're talking about nutrition on the elite FTS podcast is an abundance. Yeah. The more you understand the person, the more you understand who they are and what they are, instead of restricting things, you can add more, more food, more training, and it seems like that kind of reflects upon your life, right? You, you are a person to me that wants more, but not without a real practical approach. Thus, the stoicism concept of it. And I think that's really important to kind of visualize and to explain to some of you guys that actually, well, again, the the Paul that you heard in 2019 is, a, yeah, is the premise to what we're doing here. And um, and it's it, it's a it's a growth in and inside of gym to always want more. And this is something we talked about when we were walking. Have you ever run into a wall with that ambition? You know, Only when that more didn't align with me. So if I was pursuing more because of insecurity, if I was pursuing mm-hmm. more because of a desire to validate my self-worth. So more is not better. Better is better. So yes, I always want more, but that more will never come at the expense of my vision and my purpose. So if it's not a fuck yes, it's a no. And I love that word purpose. And we discussed it earlier on. Purpose is what to you? Purpose is being driven towards a, a goal that is um, trying to use the right word here. Purpose is internal. Purpose is, is visceral. I love that word. Purpose is everything that I do is in aligned in alignment with my personal growth, my personal excellence, whether that's professionally whether that's athletically, whether that's in my own relationship with my wife, my family, I am always striving for my personal best and aligning myself with people who are trying to do the same things. So I'm going to start catering, going down in the sense of I want to taper back into something. And then we're going to start closing up just because I really think that I'm not going to sit here and milk something to milk something. Right. I think you're very good at talking, Paul. I think you're very efficient. Thank you. But 
Something I think that maybe I've seen by observing you and watching you is you say things like alignment and working to failure. And I'm curious <laughs> if you really have found your purpose and, and almost like destiny in the sense of bodybuilding, the 24-hour requirement of that, and just who you've become in the last few years and whether or not somebody embodies the concept of touching the sun like you in a sense. And I, something I say philosophically, and often people think that because I try to touch the sun like Icarus, like I'm some vengeful child trying to kill myself. But in, in reality, it's a way of aligning yourself into purpose. And the two-failure concept is the sun, but not necessarily until it's over. And from gathering these notes and knowing you personally and listening to you, but more importantly, watching you, right? Because you don't have to really say much, Paul, to e express yourself from your... From just watching you train to watching you carry yourself um, to not saying too much or not saying too little. That's the choice of Marcus Aurelius, right? Of being yeah. stoic. And it's something that's interesting because a lot of people, when they say to failure, they think that the failure that you failed. But in reality, that's the first step into getting better. Fulfilling these reps, meaningful reps. Mm. And it seems like in the last three years, you've just been really getting more meaningful reps than anything else. And the shift into bodybuilding in a philosophical perspective just seems so perfect, it's disgusting. Not so much in the sense of aesthetics, because you've always been aesthetically a, a, a good-looking powerlifter, no homo, but a little. Yeah, appreciate it. Stupid but, hair. Yeah. I'm really, I just try to be the prettiest guy on the platform and hope, hopefully You know what, I said that, but that's why I do straw man. <laughs> Fuck you. No, I'm upset. I don't say prettiest, I say handsome. I'm not pretty at all. A little bit. And I want to I want you to close off. Um, a obviously tell us at the end where to find you and stuff like that. But if you had to leave something for us about the Paul you are now, and then where the Paul and I, I wrote this in my notes, I wrote next, and I understand that that might be a very broad perspective, but it doesn't really seem like that it would be to you. So if you can tell us now where you think you're going with who you are now and then give us a little information of a where to find you where to email you where to reach out for you for contact because i personally have learned a fuck ton today and it's been great to talk to you professionally because often we don't see each other so yeah. we get to really just want to talk about stupid shit yeah, yeah, yeah. or just rock really fast where i'm winded and if, if you could tell mean, me a little honestly. bit more like the, in that sense of where you want to and I, I really not that i don't care about your business because i really think that's going to be on its own but you as a man, because I really want you to do me a favor when you're done here. I want you to listen to that podcast. And then I want you to listen to this one when it comes out. And brother, <laughs> yeah, really? you ate that good show. Yeah. It is, you, you're, you, you're like a whole other human. You believed in it's what you cool. believed in. But what you believe in now is just like you're just trying. I'm in a room with a different dude. Yeah. Because That's by probably the best compliment I could ever receive, to be honest. A hundred, hundred, bro, 100%. Like I am like the bard fuck. strikes again. <laughs> yeah. And I want to, I want you to just give me something because I often think, um, what, what would you tell yourself in the sense of where we're going to next? What ambition we have to next? And then of course our information. Um, a few things popped into my head when you were talking about stoicism and a big piece of stoicism is being present. So understanding that, and I, I just got a tattoo last week of, a clock on my hand with the, the time I was born leading into a skull 
because we could die at any moment. So the, the stoic phrase is memento mori, remember death. And when I was going through my challenging time in 2019, 2020, you know, moving across the country, for all intents and purposes, losing everything personally that I had and having to rebuild, I remembered death and I meditated on death a lot. And I thought about what I would be leaving behind, what impact I would have on the world. And more importantly, actually, how I looked at myself within the world. And I found that a lot of my pursuits were not aligned with a purpose. They were aligned with my desire to validate myself. So I had such a low self-worth that I felt I had to achieve things to make myself worth it. Where I am now as a man is, is a man who is fully committed to his purpose in life of impacting others positively. And I've learned that I do have value. And my value is inherent and it's been earned. I don't have to continue to validate that. It's passed on to others and they can do with it what they wish. So as long as I'm acting within my values of positively influencing people, good things will come. So the stoic in me is always thinking about what will people say when I leave? What will people have to say about the person that I am? And am I able to say, if I checked out today, did I leave the world a better place? And I think that without question, I can say that, yes, I have. Am I perfect? Absolutely not. I will not sit here and say that I am. I make mistakes all the time, but I learn from them. And when we talk about failure and touching the sun, the only way we can know how far we can push is by pushing to that place. And you know, the hardest thing you've ever done is the hardest thing you've ever done, which is something I said today. And that applies across the board. If your perception of stress is getting shot at in war, well, then getting stuck in traffic isn't that bad. While I've never been to war, I have lost everything that I had at one point, and I've had to restart. So my perception of stress and the level of gratitude I have for the life that I live now is massive. I wake up every single day, I roll over to my wife, I tell her I love her, and I tell her how grateful I am to be living the life that we live and building it and continuing to build it. And that, I'm like, I just, I have chills right now, even though I'm sweating my balls off, (laughs) (laughs) thinking about how amazing my life is and the things that I've been able to achieve since I aligned myself with my purpose. So if I had a lesson to leave somebody, it is to truly dive into what is your purpose Are you acting in alignment with that purpose? Are your thoughts aligned with that purpose? Are your actions aligned with that purpose? And are your feelings aligned with that purpose? And applying that across the board with your personal, athletic, professional, everything. If you're able to
do that, it's, it's a cheat code to life. It really is. What's next for me is to continue to evolve. I want to be able to sit here three years from now and you're like, whoa, you're a different guy again. Because that's, that's to me, like personal progression is the Holy grail. We don't want to sit here and say, I want to be 1% better every day because that, that leaves it open to, you know, I'm not good enough. But if we're always striving to be better and we're engulfed in that process, that 1% better is going to happen by proxy, right? It doesn't, you don't need to worry about it because you're in alignment with your goals. So having that alignment is, is going to be number one. Number two, I'm just going to continue to try and raise the bar. So that starts by continuing to iterate on our services that we, we provide with Master Athletic to continue to provide the highest level of educational information we can with Courtridge Corner University to continue to build out my mentorship program, both the one-on-one mentorship and now the group mentorship that's starting in September and being able to pass on the knowledge and the experience that I've had in both athletics, business coaching to that next generation of coach looking to be not necessarily be where I am, but create their own journey and find their own alignment. That's where I want to be. So you can find me on Instagram, Paul O'Need, or at Paul O'Need, P-A-U-L-O-N-E-I-D, at Master Athletic, or www.masterathletic.com. Coaches Corner University is dropping a new cohort of our certification course on September 12th. Uh, you can register for that. It is a self-directed course with once a week live labs with myself and my business partner, Tony Montgomery. If you're interested in working with myself or my coaches, Olivia or Nat, you're welcome to reach out to our business page or myself personally, and it would be a pleasure to work with anyone. Well, fuck yeah, man. Oh, man, that was a good finish. I'm going to end mm-hmm. it at that, and I'm going to say thank you very much for coming all the way down here, John. Thank you for always being my backbone and setting that outline for me as well. And Felipe and Ray to keeping us posted. I thought that was... A little bit of everything, and I thought that was a masterpiece in itself, a sense of meditations. Thank you, everybody, for listening to the Battle Last Podcast. Remind you, don't be a pussy. Everything ends.